Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that was not accepted to Xavier's home for uh, school for gifted children. Instead, we had to attend the South Harmon Institute of Technology. <laughs> my name is Drew. I'll be your host for this evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. How's it going? It's going, man. And I have yeah. Ryan actually standing by right now as a surprise to all of us. Um we have Golden Globe nominee Steve Gutenberg waiting on the line for a, an exclusive interview. It was uh, an interesting one to land, and I thought I'd surprise you with it. Okay. Um, <laughs> and now I'm going to say April Fool's, everybody. We do not have Steve <laughs> Gutenberg waiting on the line. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, um, is Ryan really there, though? No, Ryan is not there. <laughs> you know, but I will press I will preface this before we kick off the show. We are recording on April 1st. So there is the argument that there's April Fool's stuff going on. That is the only April Fool's joke I personally will be playing on the listening audience. The reason I say this is that on April Fool's Day, it is very hard to take seriously anything you find on the internet. Unfortunately, because we're recording on April 1st, I have to preface the show with this. All of the news that we'll be talking about tonight, I did not find today on the internet. I found it throughout the week. <laughs> <laughs> when we start, when we close a show for the week, I spend the week leading up to the next episode looking for news. I just want everyone to be clear about that before we go crazy talking about news. So everything I have tonight is not an April Fool's joke. It's actually news stories that I found. <laughs> so. and, and now I'm just glad that I've had a pretty busy day, so I haven't been on the Internet too much. But um, uh, oh, I also know oh, what we're going to say. The, the the there's one that I saw that almost caught me off guard. And the, the there's one April Fool's joke that I saw on the Internet that said Henry Cavill has signed a new contract with Warner Brothers for two more Superman films, another Justice League film, whatever. And then uh, as you read through the post, it eventually said, sorry, everybody, April Fool's. See, uh, that's that's just getting people's hopes up like that. That's, that's, they... That one was kind of mean. There is, however, one that I saw today that I don't actually know if it's an April Fool's joke or not. I really kind of don't understand it whatsoever. And that is um, someone said that the DC will not be moving forward with the New Gods movie or the Trench film, which is an Aquaman spinoff. First off, we know about the New Gods film. I don't think anyone ever announced a Trench film. And that's the part that I don't know if it's real or not. <laughs> So, yeah, that's kind of crazy. But that uh, I mean, it would be awesome, but it sounds like it's either never existed because it's an April Fool's joke or the article's true and we're just never going to see it. So I don't know. 
how much time right. you want to, you know, actually worry about that. And, unfortunately. And, I, and I could be wrong. There could have been a trench film that we were supposed to get, but I don't remember. So um, mm-hmm. the worst part is, is that I don't know if that's a joke or not, if it's able to joke, <laughs> if it's real. Like, so, like I said, the Internet's weird today, but I will say all the news stories I have today do not have anything to do with April Fool's. They're all legit news that I found throughout the week. Awesome. Um, Speaking of jokes, I did want to mention because we were talking about Ryan and if it's uh, anybody's first episode, uh, Ryan is our sound guy. He edits our shows and does the sound. uh, You know, anything you hear that involves sound, Ryan does. He adds the drops and the theme songs and everything like that. Um, And I can confirm he does exist. He is a real person. (laughs) I've had I've had people ask me that before. They're like, I'm convinced Ryan isn't real, but nope, he he does exist. He is real. So he does exist here first. And the few times he was on the show, he did his best not to talk. So if you go back to like the very, very early episodes of this show, you do hear Ryan say a couple things and that's about it. Um, But he makes us sound good and we wouldn't be anywhere with this show without him. So, Ryan, thank you very much for all the hard work that you do. And sorry if I ever nag saying, where's the episode so I can post it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, he's too busy getting Steve Gutenberg on the line. I, I, he, he is. He is. Um, so anyway, Peter, let's kick this off. What are we watching? What are we reading? Yeah, I've actually watched a ton of stuff. So I'm going to try to go through this quickly and I'm going to go through it from I guess least important thing I've watched to most important. So bear with me here, but I'll try to keep this short. So the first thing I want, what's that? I said, all right. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Uh, The first thing I wanted to mention is Close Enough on HBO Max. Uh, Drew, do you know about the show? Have you watched it at all? I have not. Do you know what it is? No. Okay. Is it it one of the originals? Yes, yes, it is. So you, you like regular show, right? Oh, this is basically yes, I don't okay. know. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, this is the this is the creator of regular show. This is his next show, and it's an HBO Max original, and it is a adult animated comedy. So it, you know, there's some swearing and there's some more, you know, dirty jokes in there. Um, but it's hilarious. Um, this is basically the same animation as regular show. It's kind of the same comedy, but it's just sort of a different scenario. Uh, regular show has, you know, it stars Mordecai and Rigby who are a, uh, you know, it's a bird and a squirrel and they, you know, they are working at a park district and it's just kind of a really funny slacker comedy. And this show is kind of a really funny slacker comedy about two human adults and their daughter who are, and you know, the, the parents are very poor. So they live with their, you know, goofy friends. And it's just kind of like, it's like the same thing. It's almost like if Rigby, or I mean, if Mordecai turned into a human and got married and had a kid, and then this would just be the sequel show. That's kind of what it is, but it is really hilarious. And if anybody likes regular show, I definitely recommend it. I'm like probably five or six episodes in, and I just have been laughing out loud the whole time. Um, and it has that regular show thing where every episode starts off with a very normal, very grounded, believable plot. And then at some point it goes off the rails and gets ridiculous. But the biggest difference with this show is most of the time when it goes off the rails, it's still stuff that technically could happen, but just never would, if that makes sense. (laughs) So it's it's just really 
it's really ridiculous stuff that never, never would happen, but it's still grounded in reality in the same way that, uh, you know, every Simpsons episode could happen. So I wanted to mention that definitely check it out. Drew, I don't know if you have any questions or else I could move on to my next thing. No, I, I remember seeing, I saw the poster or the image, like the cover box art, whatever I guess you could call it on HBO max. And I thought to myself, that is very regular show art. Um, mm-hmm. so I was planning on checking it out, but I just didn't jump into it because I just didn't know if it was just the same animated style where they use the same artist, for example, but knowing it's the, basically a spinoff show of, or a, well, <laughs> well, I was saying, I was saying that you, the next thing that guy does. I guess, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh-huh. You, can, you can tell that I feel like the creator and I don't know if this is true, but I feel like the creator based the regular show or regular show off of who he was in his 20s. And this new show is like who he was in his 30s. Um, but the shows, there is no connection. That's just like in my head canon. I'm like. It kind of is like an unofficial sequel that went from anthropomorphic to real people sort of thing. Um, so anyways, uh, the, other, the next thing I wanted to mention was uh, Invincible on Prime. Have you watched Ooh. this at all, Drew? Uh, no, but this is on my list. So okay. tell me tell me all about Invincible, because this is this is the Robert Kirkman's uh, uh, image series he did before Walking Dead. Yep. And it, it's a superhero show. And uh, Drew, have you read the comics at all? I have not. Okay, so I haven't. My first jump into Robert Kirkman was Walking Dead. Walking Dead. I haven't read the comics either. I've always been familiar with them. I've always like thought it looked cool, but it's one of those things where by the time I wanted to commit to it, it was just there was so much, uh, you know, there's so many invisible or invincible comics. It's just like it got to a point where it would be hard to jump in. But uh, I started watching this show on Prime and it's awesome. Um, I'm two episodes in. I think there's a third one out soon to be a fourth. But it's uh, it's really the animation I enjoy quite a bit. It's got that uh, it's you know, it's it's kind of akin to the uh, DC animated movie animation. And I actually found out that the studio that does Invincible is actually the same like Korean animation studio that does a lot of the DC original movies. So that's really awesome. But Invincible, it's kind of funny because uh, at the when you start watching the show, there's like these very uh, they heavily warn you, like they really heavily warn you that this show is for mature audiences and it gets dark and it gets brutal and it gets violent. And uh, this is a show that I started watching and I was kind of like, I'm surprised they warned so much about it because nothing's really bad, like nothing. You know, it hasn't been that mature. And it's one of those things where there's a point in the first episode where it turns and oh, man, does it turn because this show gets violent. And that's just something to keep in mind if you don't like violence and gore and all that. Don't watch this show because there's plenty of it. Uh, I probably wouldn't watch this show with your kids because there's just a lot of violence. So keep that in mind. But I think it's awesome so far. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of it's one of those shows where it's about superheroes and you can point to different superheroes in the show where it's like, oh, this is Robert Kirk Kirkman's version of uh, Superman or this is his version of Batman and stuff like that. So it's been really fun so far. Drew, I'm sure you'll be watching it soon, so we could probably talk about it more later on. Yes. Yeah. Um, so then the next thing probably I guess I'll go with this is probably the biggest thing, which I don't know if you've watched this yet, but. 
I had a chance to watch Godzilla versus Kong. Have you seen this yet, Drew? I have watched it. Um, oh, really? Nice. Yes, I have. And I'll we'll say we'll curb that until I'm done with my <laughs> watching stuff. So go ahead. OK, well, I think everything else on my list you've probably watched as well, because I have Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Foz, as I've been calling it, and yeah. uh, the Suicide Squad trailer. So uh, sure. I don't know if we want to jump into your watching. Uh, we'll jump into my watching because it's like it's like all three of those plus a little bit. So um uh, in terms of reading, have I read anything? Oh, no, I'm working my way through Detective Comics from the Detective Comics 27 all the way through because I've decided that with the DC Universe app, I have access to comics that are literally like un- incredibly difficult to find or get my hands on. So can I've gone to comic book conventions looking for even trade versions, like collected volumes that cost me like 10 bucks. And here you go. It's like all of the seventies, for example, it's really hard to find some of that stuff. So, um, I started at detective comics 27 and I've decided I'd love to be able to one day say that I've read every issue of Detective comics. <laughs> so, um, I'm up to 73, 72, 73. <laughs> so I think, I think once you've, once you've completed it, you should get a cat, a tattoo to, uh, commemorate the fact that you've read <laughs> through all of detective comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I've read all of it. No, I'm up to 71 or 72. And the, uh, it's, there's some, it's really interesting watching the evolution of Batman where you're suddenly like first, like the first Batmobile was red and it was just a normal car. And then suddenly it's like a dart, it's like a blue car. And then suddenly it's a blue car with a fin. And then, you know, like just the evolution of how things came to be. And then the first time that they used the bat signal, for example, and, you know, like they haven't officially called it the bat cave yet. It's just the layer that's underneath the manor right now. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so the the use of words, the coming of things, um, two faces original. So Harvey Dent, as we all know him, became two face. Well, because this is my first time reading this far back into the mythos, because everyone who's a Batman fan has read Detective Comics 27, because that's the original. But how far beyond that did you read is the question. Um, most people have read the Amazing Fantasy 15, the origin, the origin of Spider-Man. A lot of people have read Action Comics number one, the origin of Superman. Um, my point is the fact that you a lot of times you don't read beyond that origin story because it's old comics and it's not as easy to read as some of the newer fun stuff. That being said, um, Harvey Dent his, when he was introduced as Two-Face, he was Harvey Kent um, <laughs> with a K. And, I, and I'm really kind of curious as to when they make the switch to make it Harvey Dent. Um, <laughs> so it makes me wonder. Um, so I'm enjoying the uh, evolution right now. Um, I still think uh, because I know, Drew, you told uh, you told uh, me and uh, Shauna Scott about this. Um, and I still think it's probably sometime after the first Batman and Superman crossover, unless that's happened already, because I feel like once they knew Superman and Batman were going to be like reoccurring characters in the same universe, they probably were like, well, we can't have two face with the same last name as Superman. Like that just doesn't work, you know, but right. Um, and unfortunately that same issue was, uh, they went to a movie theater and there was a Superman movie playing in the theater. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, I don't, I don't understand. (laughs) Yep. Um, so things that I've watched, uh, let's talk. So I did watch, Godzilla versus Kong. Um, we'll do a quick review on that because we have to let us talk Winter Soldier and the Suicide Squad trailer. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, before I watched Godzilla versus Kong, I watched um, Godzilla King of the Monsters because I had to get caught up. Um, yeah. I, I really liked Godzilla King of the Monsters. The only thing that was weird about that to me was that I felt like it just kind of stopped. Um, I feel like the ending was very abrupt. Like they were like, well, we're out of money. Roll the credits. Um, <laughs> that was my only like, okay. little, that was really my only little quibble with that. Like, I'm like, we're just going, we're going, we're going. And then I was like, oh, it's over. Okay. Roll the credits, I guess. Where's the, <laughs> where's the bonus scene? You know what That's I mean? That's how I felt with Jurassic Park three the first time I saw it. Yeah, but, uh, keep Park going. Perfect example of like, we ran out of money. Roll the credits. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, so we'll get to Godzilla vs. Kong in a second. I also wanted to say that I'm watching uh, Batman the Animated Series on um, HBO Max right now. Um, I, the Snyder Cut put me on a big superhero kick. So I'm watching the Batman Animated Series right now again. Like, I've seen it. I've watched it when it was live on regular television. And I bought the DVDs and I've upgraded them to Blu-ray and stuff. My one disappointment about the HBO Max uh, run of Batman the Animated Series is that the episodes are not in the correct order. Um, they have all the two-parters correct and stuff like that, and for the most part, the show is very episodic, so you could pretty much watch any episode at any time, wherever, but they're not in the air date order, so I'm looking for episodes, and I'm like, wait, it's not here. It's supposed to be there, and like, it's, it's weird that I'm like, this episode doesn't land right there, you know? So... I don't know about the other series like Superman or Justice League or anything like that, but this one specifically, the episodes are in a strange viewing order. I don't even understand why that would be the case. That's just neither, weird. Neither do I. I thought it was weird. I noticed it with the very the very first episode was wrong. I was like, that's not the first episode of this show. <laughs> um, and the only reason that that first episode is I mean, the first episode's on leather wings. And it's a weird episode to have as a beginning episode. But when you mm-hmm. get all the way to the end of Justice League Unlimited, there's an episode that makes a callback to that very first Batman episode. So it's just kind of like. You know, if you were to watch it in the order, it makes a callback to the very first show. Um, so I just thought it was odd that it's not right. So I was like, oh, maybe it's just a couple episodes are misplaced. No big deal. And then I started watching. I was like, wow, these are very out of order. But it's all right because I love it and it doesn't really matter. So and it's easy to, get, you know, it's easier than getting off my butt and putting a Blu-ray in the player. So <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> um, uh, all right. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, actually, no, let's go to Godzilla versus Kong. This movie was a lot of fun. Um, I'm it, they did give a declared an actual winner between the two. I thought that was interesting. Uh, where like Batman, Superman, they eventually got to a point where you're like, uh oh, is he, who's going to win? And then it's just like they start working together. Um, right. I mean, I think they did a good job of um, showing that like. Different ones went one at certain points, but like. By the end, by the time the end of the movie comes, neither of them could have survived if the other one wasn't there sort of thing. So I think they did a good job of like, regardless of which one they showed win. The other one, like, really had to depend on the one that lost, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, I agree. It's it's tricky when you do these versus movies because you do have to not play favorites. So. You know, you might you might say like this character would win the fight, but you still have to show that like this character can hold his own as well. But uh, no, keep going. I didn't mean to derail you. Uh, No, I I, it was it was a lot of fun. I thought it was interesting that they kind of pretty much declared a winner. Um, I loved the hollow earth stuff. 
That was mm-hmm. really cool. Um, they had talked about it in the previous movie and then really got to explore the spoilers, by the way, really got to explore the hollow earth stuff in this movie, which I thought was a lot of, which was really cool and got me kind of like got the wheels spinning a lot. And then, um, uh, I'm just going to throw it down. I already said spoilers, but Mecha Godzilla, holy crap. I thought that was kind of <laughs> going to be more of a tease for like another film or something like that, but that was, that was awesome to watch. Um, and, I will say that I thought it was also really cool that the primarily Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong was a primarily a King Kong film. Um, they seem to spend more time with him than anything else. And uh, I it probably because we hadn't seen him since Kong Skull Island and we spent uh, and we're going two Godzilla movies back to back ultimately. So uh, that'd be my guess anyway. Yeah. But overall, yeah, I mean- overall, I had a lot of fun watching it. So. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. Um, you've kind of uh, like said a lot of the main points, but uh, just going back to the Mecha Godzilla thing, like that was a really good surprise. I don't think they hinted at, at that at all in the trailers, so that was just a really cool uh, surprise that they threw in there. And that was uh, you knew that just because of the way that versus movies usually go, you knew there was going to be some other threat that was going to come in and they were going to have to team up and fight. But I never expected it to be Mecha Godzilla. You know, you'd expect it to be some, you know, giant alien monster invades the earth randomly or something, you know, it, and it was kind of right. out of left field, but it was cool how much uh, Mecha Godzilla was fit right into that plot they were going with, with the uh, all the conspiracy stuff and uh, the hollow earth stuff. And I don't know, it was just, it was a really well put together movie. Um, a little bit of a nerdy confession I can make is the only other movie from the series that I've watched is the first Godzilla movie. <laughs> and the reason is because I didn't really like the 2014 Godzilla movie all that much. Um, and I kind of skipped Skull Island and King of the Monsters, even though I thought Godzilla King of the Monsters looked so awesome. Um, and I didn't like the 2014 Godzilla a lot because I just felt like it didn't focus enough on the monsters and it focused a lot on these humans that were running around and stuff that I just didn't care about. And I'm just like, I just want to see Godzilla fight. And Godzilla was kind of more of a background character for that whole movie. And it kind of just rubbed me the wrong way. But then watching this movie, I was really glad that it was all about monster fights and hollow earth and weird sci-fi concepts. And like, I just, I had a blast with it overall. So I was really happy and uh, I'm definitely going to promptly go back and catch up on the series (laughs) right away. I was going to say, because you promptly need to watch uh, Skull Island. Skull Island. Um, (laughs) You really do. Um, I Skull Island is probably my favorite of the grouping. So, okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other thing I really, really liked that I want to bring up is the uh, um, the uh, sign language with the little girl and Godzilla. I'm not Godzilla, mm-hmm. King Kong. Um, that kind of in a really interesting way that totally solves the um, human piece to the like like the communication between the monsters and the and the people i was just like that's that was such a smart touching thing to do so um yeah no actually yeah that actually was a really good touch that's a really good point for sure yeah all right uh falcon and the winter soldier um first off i'm gonna start before i give my review of the show i want to say that 
for all those people that say that all this release the Snyder Cut for Restore the Snyderverse, all that nonsense, people want to say like the DC fans are toxic. Um, those of you people who claim to be Marvel fans that have been sending Wyatt Russell death threats because he is not a good Captain America. If I hear that, if I hear that you guys are doing that in all seriousness, don't call DC fans toxic because we want more movies when you're sending death threats to your actors. It's disgusting. It's despicable. Don't do it. It's stupid. If you know anything about comics, you know, that's not supposed to be Captain America, quote unquote. It's something else. Watch the show and enjoy it. Okay. That being said, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, had to get that out there. I couldn't believe that when I read that on the internet a couple days ago. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, (laughs) well, from where I'm at, because to be honest, I don't know that I feel really sold on this guy either. But the thing is, I think that's kind of the point. Like, he's obviously taking more of a, you know, more of a villain or definitely an antagonist of some sort, you know, at least moving into the next episode. So I feel like the the casting's kind of really good because you don't know whether you like him or you don't. So I think it's kind of I didn't know that people were sending him death threats. And that's obviously really despicable, especially when it comes to the fact that, like, it's just a guy playing a character. And this is, you know, this is comic book movies and it's supposed to be fun. And I don't know. That's just really despicable. Right. I didn't even know about that. But yeah. And at the same point, I feel like. I feel like the reaction to this character and this actor is supposed to be divisive and you're not supposed to know if you're supposed to like him yet, unless I'm reading that wrong, but that's kind of the impression I got. And even though I'm kind of on the same page, I was just kind of like, well, I think they're doing a good job because I think you're supposed to feel this way right now. You are supposed to feel this way right now and it's not right. And you're supposed to, and like, if you're feeling that way, it's because you're doing, it's, you're doing the, it's, they're making you, feel the way you're supposed to feel right now. And if you read the comics, it's the same emotional response in the comic books. It's exactly what you're supposed to happen. If you also read the comics, you know that this guy, this whole story goes somewhere specific. So even if you have a premonition of where this is supposed to go and you have an inkling like, oh, I see what Marvel's doing. I'm ahead of them because I read comic books. You're still you. It, it this is it's no reason to send the guy death threats. So um, overall, this episode alone was what I almost what I wanted from the first episode. Um, and this is where I feel that um, I was coming off a Snyder cut high, watched the first episode and was like, OK. And then I watched this episode and I go, man, I really wish they ran those first two back to back because I would have been totally sold on the show much better. Uh, but I really, really enjoyed that second episode and I can't wait to see what happens next. So. So I agree with you there. This is much closer to what I wanted as well. Um, I do think they needed that first episode to catch you up on what, you know, where these characters are right now. Um, And as much as like I wanted it to jump into the action right away, it's just I kind of understand, you know, if you if you think of this as like a movie, you know, your first 45 minutes to an hour, a lot of times establishes stuff before you get to like a lot of the crazy action stuff. And that's just kind of how I've been looking at this is like we had the first episode where there was a lot of cool action, but we kind of had a lot of really personal, emotional moments with the character, with the characters, I mean, but uh by the time we got to the second episode and what I think is the best news of all is it kind of seems like 
we're not going to dwell on that emotional emotional stuff. And we've got just a really cool um, sort of superhero military military sort of uh, plot going on moving forward, which I'm really excited about. So, yeah, yeah, I really loved this episode. I don't know if I have too much to say besides that. It was just overall really cool. And um, I didn't know about the new Captain America hate, but I just say give it time and, you know, don't attack the actor, actor, you know, just, uh, give it some time. And I think, I think this is playing out the way it's supposed to be at this point. So right now it is. And I agree. Give it time guys and stop being the toxic fans that everyone's talking about. Um, all right. Uh, suicide squad two trailer. Did you watch it? (laughs) Yes, I watched it. (laughs) Um, this is a trailer, a quick review because there's not much of the trailer. First off, I'm excited just like I was, um, but, uh, it, first off, this is a red band trailer. Um, so you actually have to go. So if you're going to search it, um, and you want to watch it correctly, you have to type in red band trailer into YouTube or wherever you watch it. Um, and I will say for those people that don't know the difference between a red band versus a green band trailer, the reason it's called a red band is because when you start a movie trailer, when you're in a movie theater, or if you're watching it on television, or if you're watching it off of your computer, cause you're on IMDb or YouTube or something like that. Um, it always has a green screen that pops up and it says the movie is rated blank for blank or it's not rated or whatever um, with the Motion Picture Association, blah, blah, blah. And then you watch the trailer. A red band means that you will have a red screen pop up and there are no rules for that trailer, meaning they can use all the gory violence. They can use all the language they want. There's no censorship and the trailer plays as is. Um, the red band trailers, in my opinion, are usually the ones that I prefer to watch if they are available. Um, so for suicide squad, we know the movies rated R. So watch the red band trailer. It's awesome. Um, the one thing that I'm going to harp on other than the fact that I think the movie looks great. So Peter, feel free to dive a little deeper into the trailer, but Starro. Yeah. Holy (laughs) crap. (laughs) Um, we got Starro in the movie. I can't I that that made me almost fall out of my chair. I'm like, yeah, Suicide Squad. Awesome. I'm in. This is great. Like I'm liking everything I'm seeing. And then they throw Starro at the end of it. First off, leave it to James Gunn. Only James Gunn could bring Starro to the screen. I can't wait. Um, I did pull some Starro facts, by the way. Um, But um, Peter, I don't know if you have anything you want to add before we go any farther. So, well, yeah. So I think going into it, we already knew this movie is going to be filled with super obscure characters. Um, and you're right that <laughs> Starro making an appearance in the trailer is absolutely insane. Um, and just a really pleasant surprise. Um, I'm liking this, how this movie's looking for the most part. Um, I, Obviously, like I love the overtopness of it. I love all the different uh, just zany characters they have. Um, King Shark looks like he's going to be kind of a really hilarious, lovable character. But um, I by guess way, maybe King Shark is voiced by uh, Sylvester Stallone. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even know that. Um, I don't. The next thing I was going to say is hilarious might be the wrong word to use. And I don't want to be too negative about this one. But. I watched the red band trailer and I can say I didn't laugh out loud once. And that's kind of like, and that might be just me being nitpicky and just maybe I wasn't in the mood for it or something. And it didn't, uh, it just didn't make me laugh. Um, but that being said, like I love the guardians of the galaxy movies. I like most James Gunn movies I've seen. Um, and so I'm still really excited. I just, 
I expected it to hit me a lot funnier than it did. And I, I don't know if it's also like a lot of the jokes uh, that they showed in the trailer just kind of centered around um, different characters like swearing and stuff like that. Like, you know, somebody says like some dirty joke and that was it where I was maybe expecting a little bit more. But like I said, I'm watching this like I'm going to be there opening weekend. It's just kind of like that's my one nitpick is I kind of wished it was a little funnier to me. But at the same time, humor is such a subject or uh, yeah, such a subjective thing that you know, somebody else might've thought it was the funniest thing they've ever seen. So <laughs> there's that. Um, it's also, it's also a trailer. So we have to kind of take it for kind of a grain of salt right now. Cause everything's out of context. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so that's, there's not much we can work with on it. It's just watch the trailer, enjoy and know that it's, it could be really, really cool. Um, uh, but that segues into news a little bit. So because we're on, uh, suicide squad, Starro being the villain, first off, we live in a world as comic book fans where we got to see Thanos live action. We've gotten to see Darkseid live action, and we're about to get to see Starro live action. Um, mm-hmm. And when Guardians Three comes out, I'll be I'm I'm still holding on the fact that we're going to get to see Adam Warlock live action because of how Guardians Two ended. Um, and it just bums me out that we didn't get Adam Warlock for the Infinity Saga. But that's OK, because we're going a whole nother direction. So, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but Starro. Um, so first off, this is a couple things about Starro, because people might see that trailer and go, what the hell is that? Starro <laughs> is ultimately a giant space starfish that <laughs> um, he's an alien with incredible psychic powers and a fondness for conquering worlds. Um, as a long piece of Starro's body survives, he can always regenerate. As long as a piece of his body survives, he can always regenerate. Um, and he has these little spawn, countless spores or whatever. He can spawn these like spores that look like starfish that enslave victims' minds. So it's like, It'd be like you'd get like the starfish would like attach to your face and then it would have like one eye in the center of the face and then you would be controlled by Starro. Um, it's it's kind of weird, but it's it was one of those like threatening villains back in the day. And if you know your comic book history, Starro is actually the very first villain that the Justice League as a team faced in comic book history. So, oh, I, I mean, that makes sense. I feel like I've seen images of that i never knew that specifically yeah. but that's pretty so, cool so if you go all the way back to the very first justice league number one or just leave america or whatever the comic was actually under at the time um that was the very first villain that they faced so nice yeah um in the realm of suicide squad though because of the success so far of the snyder cut david Ayer hopes wb the warner brothers will also allow him to um, release his ver- his cut of the of uh, Suicide Squad or the Air cut as everyone's referring to it because he had several scenes with the Joker that got cut out. So when people criticize Jared Leto's Joker, we may not have gotten the whole picture that we should have gotten. I don't know how much footage is there, but people are now lobbying like, "Well, give us the Air cut. Why not?" You know, so 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 did you say this is just a fan movement or they actually announced that this, this is a little bit of a fan movement? This is a fan. Okay. David Ayer himself is hoping that they'll reach out and say, hey, let's release yours, too. And at this point and at this point, seriously, why not? Well, I mean, I have been seeing release the air cut uh, hashtag since 
I think after the Whedon cut of Justice League came out, like there was people saying it back then. Um, But it's kind of cool that it's become a big thing. And um, David Ayer, I mean, he's a great filmmaker. And uh, I think if you followed him and his fans enough on social media, I do think it's been revealed that I don't think it's quite a Snyder cut situation. But I do think there is a lot of studio pressure as far as re-editing and um changing aspects of of his film and so i would love to see you know his director's cut version of this movie so fingers crossed but air said air said that it's an amazing movie it just scared the shit out of the executives which makes me really (laughs) which is what i like to hear (laughs) which is what i like to hear and it makes me go what like what do we got you know that kind of thing so i mean serious give us a joker that that will scare us you know that's what i want yeah, yeah. um i know i also know the suicide squad because they had uh it was one of the it might have been the second trailer that came out for it they had bohemian rhapsody playing in the background through the whole trailer and because people responded so well to that trailer they basically hired the people who edited that trailer to basically re-edit the whole film and fill it with, you know, classic rock songs the whole way through, which of course people were like, oh, they're just trying to ape uh, Guardians of the Galaxy at this point. Um, And so it was kind of like an afterthought. They had them re-cut the entire movie more or less. So, I mean, an air cut I think is pretty promising and it's probably one of those situations where it's going to be just like the Snyder cut where people are going to be like, this is the version that we should have gotten all along and this is way better, but, uh, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed. Agreed. And in the realm of that, uh, in the Snyderverse, um, it's nonsense with the Warner brothers doesn't want it, but Warner media does HBO max is saying that we're going to take it. We want it, that kind of stuff. And those rumors, uh, Mikey Stutton, who is the uh, he's kind of the leak over at HBO Max saying and he is reporting that HBO Max wants to step into the breach and not only restore the Snyderverse, but keep Ben Affleck on board as Batman. They're basically saying, you guys want this? Great. But we still have this coming. There's room for all of it. And I think I we Peter, you and I speak for everybody when we say, yes, we do want all of it. Uh <laughs> But uh, director, a quote from Mikey Stutton, uh, he says, HBO Max continues to want Affleck as the Dark Knight. As I've reported numerous times, HBO Max wants to keep the Snyderverse intact with hopefully new related projects from the filmmaker. So this is coming directly from someone who works at HBO Max, which is owned by Warner Media. Warner Media is in charge of the Snyder Cut version. Um, And... Yes, Warner Brothers and Warner Media kind of run under the same umbrella. It may come down to Warner Media making the decision, which means we might be getting what we want, as opposed to Warner Brothers and um, uh, Sarnoff making uh, and Sarnoff over at Warner Brothers making the decision because she doesn't want it because she hates it because she had to admit that she was wrong. So yeah, let's let's just hope that uh, Warner uh, Warner uh, Jason Clark over at Warner Meter Warner Media. Wow, I'm stumbling over my words. Jason Clark over at Warner Media gets final say in this. Um, I actually started following Jason Clark on Twitter, but when I found all this stuff out, I was like, all right, let's let's keep a chat on what this guy's got to say. Well, I'm just imagining like 
imagine if there was <laughs> there's Warner Media and they basically continued the Snyderverse, and then you have Warner Brothers that's making their own uh, DC Universe movies, and some of those are connected and some of them are not. And I'm just like kind of laughing to myself here because I think the super mat or, or superhero cinema is just always destined to be convoluted convoluted and confusing especially to the normie people who just don't understand how all it connect how it all connects um it's really funny with uh disney's acquisition of fox and uh how most of marvel's characters are under one roof now it's really funny that it's just like okay it's a lot less confusing and i don't have to you know, keep explaining to people that, you know, oh, yeah, Disney has the MCU, but Fox has X-Men and stuff like everything's a little bit more concise. But now we've got this DC stuff going on that's <laughs> going to make it all confusing again. And as uh, somebody who follows superhero cinema like pretty closely, I'm excited about this. Like, I love the studio wars and the streaming wars, and I'm looking forward to explaining this to people over and over again, What's depending really how it, where, on where it goes. So really funny is when they um, when the Disney Fox acquisition was going on and I was trying to explain it to people. I remember a friend of mine saying, Andy, it's not all about the superheroes. And my response was. Actually, in this case, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it is all about the superheroes. <laughs> so, um, all right. That's so great. <laughs> in realm of superheroes, um, real quickly, uh, Russell Crowe has uh, joined the cast of Thor 4, Love and Thunder, um, because why not? I don't know what he's playing. I just he has reportedly joined the cast. So cool. All um, right. Yep. Uh, we have some Game of Thrones news, um, which is I thought was interesting. Uh, George R. R. Martin continues to be a valuable contributor to HBO um, as the Game of Thrones author has signed a five-year deal with the company. Um, okay. not, well, we have a spinoff show coming, and we probably have another spinoff show coming. So there was that rumor that they were into the animated project. So George R. R. Martin is, you know. It's good to have the creator involved. It really is. But seriously, put him back in front of his computer so he can finish that book for me, please. Uh, I was going to say that if you didn't. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is entirely expected. But uh, yeah, seriously, finish your book, book uh, series. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also in other Game of Thrones news, uh, Game of Thrones is going to Broadway. Um, uh Ned Stark will be back for a Game of Thrones play that will focus on the great tourney at Harrenhal. Um, first so it, it's not a musical. <laughs> no, it sounds like it's just a okay. play as opposed to okay. musical. I'm, I'm okay with that. I just thought it was going to be some really corny musical, and then all you of a sudden what? a weird Green Goblin comes out of nowhere. <laughs> You're like, you what's what? going on? You here? never know. <laughs> and look, there's some really, really great stuff that comes out of Broadway. But every Absolutely. now Every now and then we hear about stuff that is like people complain that things and how people in Hollywood don't have originality and they do a lot of sequels and remakes and reboots. And like, let's take this old movie that hasn't been a thing for like 30 years and let's reboot it because we have a new generation of people that need to see. And you can argue that there's no originality. Um, I know that there's some really amazing this stuff that comes out of Broadway. Like Hamilton was phenomenal. Book of Mormon was phenomenal. This amazing stuff that comes out on Broadway, but 
every now and then you got to look at Broadway and say, don't point fingers at Hollywood because now we got, we got to point fingers at Broadway and say, Rocky, the musical Spider-Man, the musical game of Thrones, the play possible musical. We're not sure yet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, legally blonde, like everything that it's just like, Oh, that hasn't been a movie in a while that no one's paying attention to. Let's make it a musical and throw it on the stage. Um, so I don't, yeah, it's sometimes I kind of roll my eyes over in that boat. And believe me, I respect Broadway. I really, really like a lot of the stuff that comes out of there. But every now and then there's a story about Broadway that makes me roll my eyes like seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I think I think the Spider-Man musical is the best example of that. And if any of our uh, listeners aren't familiar with that, just uh, go down the Google rabbit hole with that sometime because it's pretty entertaining all the things that happened with that musical um i was gonna say i haven't been to a big uh musical or play like that in in like such a long time but i've heard um i know a couple years ago they had a king kong um broadway play that i heard was actually really amazing when it comes to the special effects that they were able to do and uh the same thing with uh harry potter and the cursed child um in the uk i've heard that if you actually saw a live performance of that from a special effects standpoint they did stuff within the uh play that you kind of would watch and just be like i have no idea how they pulled this off in a live uh, scenario like this. So hearing stuff like that, it makes me super excited to uh, hear about this Game of Thrones show. I was just worried they were going to go the musical route with it, which would probably be pretty cringy. So <laughs> I'm just I'm not 100 percent sure. All right. Uh, a couple more things and let's get to the list. So first off, let's go Mortal Kombat. Um, Mortal Kombat has been delayed by a week. Um, not really sure. It was supposed to release April 16th. It is now releasing April 23rd. So for whatever reason, it got delayed a week. I just wanted to let everyone know. So you're not like waiting up that night on the 15th going, I can't wait till midnight to watch Mortal Kombat. Um, just wanted to let you know, it got pushed back one week for whatever reason that is. Um, it's probably some studio oversight or they didn't realize that some other big event was going on the same week. So they just right. were like, eh, we'll move it. Right. There is that possibility. All the local elections are that week. So I don't think that has any impact whatsoever, but you never know. <laughs> they, they, they can't say it's a uh, flawless victory after all. So they, they can't. <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> that being said, uh, there's a quote uh, from uh the developers of Mortal Kombat, every single fight in this movie has its own personality. And it is true to not only the game, but it is true to the character. So I can't tell you who's fighting, but there's one of the most brutal fights I've ever seen on film. Um, look, <laughs> that trailer alone made me so excited when you saw Sub-Zero. He basically stabs the guy, freezes the guy's blood and stabs him with his own blood. Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously, like you couldn't have like, I, I'm it's one of those things where you watch the trailer like four times just to see that again and again and again. <laughs> like, well, um, I'm yeah. just trying to think of which character has the most brutal fatality because wasn't there, uh, I don't know if it was Scorpion was Scorpion, the one who like, he would rip the guy's head off along with his spine and then spit down his neck. Or was that a different character? I'm but you sure. remember what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. Old, like, I know. I remember. version of the game. Um, and that's like, I'm expecting it's going to be something like that. And it's one of those things like, 
I mean, it sounds like Drew and I haven't played Mortal Kombat for a while, <laughs> but it's one of those things that you'll see on screen and be like, oh, that was so gory and gross, but awesome. And I remember that. That's great. So. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I I'm excited for it. I, I got up. I got up Wednesday morning, specifically woke up, sat down with my bowl of cereal, watched Godzilla versus Kong. I'm not going to be able to do that with Mortal Kombat, but I can't wait to see Mortal Kombat. So, I'm, you know, in the realm of this WB putting stuff out there for us on HBO Max and theaters, I miss going to the theater, but I'm really kind of enjoying seeing this stuff in the comfort of my own home. So I'm really liking what HBO Max is doing right now in terms of these movies. So, yeah, absolutely. Just wanted to say so. All right couple pieces of Star Wars news, and then we will get to our list for the night because we are running way longer than I thought we were. But that's <laughs> um, we just keep going on tangents. Um, OK, Star Wars news. Uh, first off, there is a Bad Batch trailer that released. Did you see that or no? No, I've been seeing Not, promo stuff for it, but I haven't watched it yet. I was going to say I when I texted you to say, make sure you watch Suicide Squad trailer. I completely forgot to tell you to watch Bad Batch trailer. <laughs> my um, bad. <laughs> my bad, too. The trailer is really, really cool. Um, it's basically a little bit more like the other trailer that they released back when they did the big shareholders meeting. Um, it was awesome, but it, uh, it's, it's not as store. It wasn't as story centric as this one was. So this one's a little bit, uh, a little more story heavy and you kind of have a better idea what the story is we're telling. Um, that being said, what I wanted to mention was bad batch will have, it does have a premiere date of May the 4th, which is star Wars day. Um, and the thing I thought was amazing, it's a 70 minute episode, uh, just to, wow. kick, to kick off the series. And I thought that was fantastic as opposed to 30 minutes. It's going to be a 70 minute. It's going to be like a, that's, that's movie length for cartoons basically. Uh, so I thought that was awesome. Um, so I can't wait. It's, it's going to be cool. So Peter, go check out the trailer. So. Absolutely. But I do think since you're the big Clone Wars fan out of the podcast, I think you definitely have more to say about it. So I will watch it and let you know what I think next week. But uh, that's really exciting. And just the 70 minute episode, I'm just like sitting here like, man, there's just so much cool stuff going on right now. It's a great time to be a fan of any of this stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, now, the other thing is the uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi series got uh, is coming. Um, yes. The cast list has been released now. I did see this. Now, here's here's what I will tell you. Many of these actors, we don't know what characters they're playing. So the majority of this is irrelevant because without seeing the show, we don't know. But I wanted to point out a couple things. Um, first off, Ewan McGregor's on there. Obviously, he's playing Obi-Wan Kenobi. We've already talked about that. Hayden Christensen's on the cast list. Uh, we know Hayden will be playing Darth Vader. Um, and apparently he'll be reprising his role as Anakin. So my question is, is are we going to see a flashback or are we just going to see like Anakin out of the suit kind of Vader, like with the mask off kind of stuff? Not 100 percent sure. Either way, Hayden Christensen's back. Um, that was the one I was actually excited about. Like I saw the cast list and there's a lot of people that I was like, OK, cool. Like I've heard of some of them. I haven't heard of some other ones, but. I'm just really excited about Hayden Christensen. Like, that's awesome. So uh, uh, what were you saying, though? Well, Keep we going. got we have Sung Kang from uh, Fast and the Furious films. Um, he played Han in the Fast and the Furious films. Um, Indra, Indra uh, Varma, if I'm saying her name correctly, she was the head sand snake um, from she played Alaria Sand uh, from Game of Thrones. Mm. Um, and then we have Kamal Nanjani. Um 
Kamal, <laughs> that, that surprised that, me. I forgot that he was on there. That kind of surprised me. That made <laughs> keep me going laugh. though. That made me laugh, and it surprised me as well. But Kamal Nanjani is a comedic genius. That guy's amazing. I cannot wait to see what he is. Even if it's a bit role, I can't wait to see. He's going to be awesome. Um, <laughs> but the two that caught my attention big time is Bonnie Peace and Joel Edgerton. And you're going to go, why would those be important? Those are important because Bonnie Peace and Joel Edgerton played Brew and Lars, Brew and um, uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Brew yeah. in, in Star Wars Episode 2 and Episode 3. So they played Luke's aunt and uncle in the prequel films. They're coming back for the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we were expecting or maybe I should say we were hopeful that they were going to be in there as well as they you know, were hopefully they, a young Luke. So they but it's kind of cool to have that confirmation. They were not a thought in my mind when I heard Obi-Wan. Really? When I heard Obi-Wan Kenobi show, all I could think was, all right, Obi-Wan Kenobi, fine. All I could think was Luke is going to be an off limits character and we're not going to see that at all. Like when you see that, when you see him hand the baby off in Revenge of the Sith, that's the last time you see those characters until the New Hope. That's what I thought was supposed to happen. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. I first heard about the Obi-Wan show, I, that's the first place my head went was like, well, obviously he's going to be watching over Luke and maybe not interacting with, uh, you know, Luke and uh, his aunt and uncle, but maybe, um, you know, just kind of like in the shadows, keeping him protected. Like, I thought that was going to be a big part of um, of the series. And I guess part of me is thinking I've seen there was a uh, webcomic that. So it's somebody did a webcomic that retold um, Star Wars and New Hope, and they kind of added in scenes and stuff. And I used to read that, and I remember they focused on there was an aspect of that where Obi-Wan was always watching over Luke in the shadows. And I think that was uh, I think because I've read that webcomic, that's just kind of why my mind went there right away. But that's just for me, it was totally expected. So, um, gotcha. but yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off or anything. It's just no, kind no, of interesting. No. I just I just wasn't thinking about it because I was like, you know, they're not going to allow this part of the franchise to be touched because Luke's kind of sacred ground until Mark Hamill can be a part of it, which means if you're going to do a young Luke, that means you got to cast a young Luke. You know what I mean? So, um, but then we also don't know is it could be like baby Luke still. And we're well, just seeing, um, well, they have set. So the last, so baby Luke would be, um, revenge of the Sith era or infant Luke. Yeah. Then this, they've specifically said this is about 10 years after revenge of the Sith. Oh, so well, never mind. <laughs> You're looking at the 10-year-old <laughs> Luke Skywalker. So Okay, you, you got me, you got me. I, I didn't know about that that aspect, um, so, yeah. so I was speculating. The Obi-Wan Kenobi show takes place about the same time that the Han Solo film takes place. So um, if, that puts, if that puts it into perspective just a little bit. Um, if I so, don't see a hut in this show, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen one hut since new star Wars. At least I don't think, unless I'm forgetting something. And that's like, I love the huts. I want to see Jabba. I want to see somebody in there. So fingers yeah, crossed. Anyways, good. as you were saying, that's a good point. We haven't seen a hut in a long time and I almost thought way mm-hmm. Florian, but no, we just saw Bib Fortuna sitting on the throne. Yeah. So, so yeah. All right. Well, that said, um, that's kind of it for the news, man. You ready to do the uh, list? Yeah, we got there. Awesome. 
Awesome. We went uh, to hollow earth and back, but we finally got to the list. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, all right. Well, do us a favor, Ryan. We're running a much longer than we normally do, but please roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right, Peter, uh, we are back. Um, yes. So my list just to kind of steer us, we've been doing very comic book heavy, crazy stuff like that a little bit. So I was like, let's kind of go back to a little bit norm for the show. Um, and going to just steer towards the fact that we haven't done a person um, in a long time. So I thought it'd be kind of good to do uh, Brad Pitt movies um, and actually look at a person, uh, film a, uh, an actor's career, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brad Pitt films, um, I don't know if you have anything to say about this before we start the list, but, um, I found this a lot. I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. And I was like, oh, this is going to be difficult because yeah, you know what I mean? So, (laughs) um, Uh, I kind of found it pretty easy. Um, Brad Pitt's like an interesting actor for me because he's been in, um, a lot of movies that I think are good. A lot of movies that I don't care as much about. But then he's in a select few movies that I absolutely love and are some of my favorite movies of all time. And so it's a lot of these movies just had to make my list. So I didn't have like it's almost like I didn't have even room for the movies that I just kind of like <laughs> because there's just so many movies that, that he's in that I just think are just amazing. And that's kind of how my list came together super easily. Uh, that being said, I actually don't have any honorable mentions this time. Um, like I said, like there's more movies than I'll mention on my list that I like a lot that he's in, but I really felt like the five I picked were kind of like the core five Brad Pitt movies that I really enjoy. So I don't know if you have any, thoughts on this one or if you just want to jump into honorable mentions i have uh two honorable mentions you have none yeah i don't have any <laughs> which is funny unless, unless you change my mind right now <laughs> no which, well i just think it's funny that you have none because a lot of times i'll be like i don't i have no honorable mentions and you're like oh i do i always feel like <laughs> i always feel like i'm the one opting out of the honorable mentions more than you um so my honorable mentions my first one is a cheat um, and the only reason it's a cheat is because I didn't know Brad Pitt was in the movie, but the movie's amazing, and the movie's called No Way Out. Um, Brad Pitt is listed as an uncredited party guest in the background. <laughs> um, so I saw, I've saw i never seen this movie, by the way. I saw this on his IMDb page, and this is like one of the first uh, films that he's appeared in. So I thought that was funny, but I didn't know anything um, about this. So this, this movie is, it's a, so when I, first off, I highly recommend everyone watch this movie because it's in, it's incredibly intense. Um, but it's to quick overview. It's a CIA conspiracy uh, thriller type film, but it takes place in the late seventies, early eighties. So the tech, the computer technology is not up to par what it is today. So if they have to wait on a computer to do something, or if they have to wait for like a phone call, it's not like a cell phone can be just rung. Um, when you go through the mystery there, there's a lot of stuff you're like, well, why don't they just, but they can't because it's specific time. period. (laughs) Why don't they just Google it? (laughs) <laughs> right. The the thing that makes the the reason I bring that up is because when I first started watching the movie, I remember going to myself, oh, man, like I remember thinking about the technology. I really did. And it 
but it lends so well to this movie. And it's a movie that regardless of the technology, regardless of storytelling and like how the times have changed and everything, it's a movie that holds up. Uh, Kevin Costner, uh, Gene Hackman. It's this really cool CIA thriller story. Um, it's kind of slow at first. I'll give you guys that warning. But once there's something that happens within the beginning, early stages of the movie, that's the catalyst for everything that happens the rest of the way through. And it just gets more intense as the film goes. Um, really, really good movie. So, well, because of the technology differences and the constraints that you were just talking about, it almost sounds like a movie that everyone under a certain age nowadays should watch just so they understand how difficult certain things were and how we didn't have, you know, this massive amount of information just sitting in our pockets at all times and times and stuff like that. So that's kind of sounds interesting, right? It's just a really good movie. Everyone should see it. Um, my next honorable mention is 12 monkeys. Okay, nice. I had a feeling this movie would make your list somewhere. Well, and this was tough not to put it on my actual list. 12 monkeys is a time travel movie. It's about a virus that wipes out humanity and those people that are left are living underground and they're sending people back in time to try and figure out when the virus was launched because it was a bioweapon and they want to know when the virus was launched. So they're sending people back in time to try and figure out the exact point in history so they can stop it from happening. Um, and uh, Brad Pitt plays a mental patient in an insane asylum because one of the characters, when he goes back in time, no one believes him. So they haven't committed to a uh, mental institution. Brad Pitt is one of the patients and his performance. This is like before Brad Pitt was Brad Pitt and his performance was mind blowing. Um, it's the movie itself is incredible, but Brad Pitt in this movie is unbelievable. Um, and it kind of like when you look back at it now, you're just like, man, was he good then? And you see where he's gotten nowadays. So did this did this movie kind of put Brad Pitt on the map? Would you say? Um, I don't know if I'd say I put him on the map. I'd have to pull up his. Uh, let me hold on. I have there or maybe this one in tandem with a few other movies. No, if I, if I had to guess, it was Thelma and Louise and the river runs through it that really put Brad Pitt on the map. Those are the two in terms of his. Um, and in terms of his film career, I think those are the two that got us that really got his attention um, because then because just in the order of movies, because I have because when I make my short list, I always do it in order. And I've actually seen way more Brad Pitt movies than I thought I had. I was like, whoa, I've seen almost his whole career. Um, so Thelma and Louise River runs through it and then he would jump to interview with the vampire. OK, um, because after Interview with the Vampire, you'd get Legends of the Fall, Seven, Twelve Monkeys. You know, it'd go it would just spiral out from there. So, yeah, um, with Twelve Monkeys, my only comments on it is I think I've only seen this movie once um, and I watched it and I remember really loving it. But I just don't remember it super well. And I think I'm due for a rewatch of this movie um, just because a lot of the ins and outs of it, I just don't really remember super well but i do especially with you talking about him being a mental patient right now and stuff i do remember his performance in the movie actually was quite solid so um i definitely agree with you there um but like i said just a lot of the details are just kind of fuzzy for me <laughs> at this point you know oh, i got you. Um, <clears throat> well what's your first actual pick of the night man yeah, so my my first actual pick will make you laugh because it's not necessarily that great of a movie, but I went with Cool World. You know, <laughs> and this is a thing where 
I love Cool World, and I know it's not that great. It's kind of a B movie, but I just love it. Uh, what were you going to say? You were going to say, you know. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, and when I was pulling up the Brad Pitt list of films that he was in and I saw Cool World, I was like, oh, Peter's bringing this up. So. <laughs> well, the thing about it is I – I was thinking about my list this time and I was like, really like, this is going to be my list. And it's not necessarily the movies that I think that he's in. That's the best. But when you think of like, if Brad Pitt's filmography is sitting in front of you and you're going to watch five of them, what are the five, five movies that you're going to grab? And cool world is definitely within that five for me, because it's just one of those things that like, like I said, it's not that great, but just these (laughs) sort of, uh, hybrid film aspects of it, how it involves, you know, people crossing over from the real world into a crazy, crazy cartoon world. I just love that concept. Um, Ralph Bakshi did the animation for this movie and the animation is really zany and cartoony and over the top. And I love it. Um, it's kind of like, it kind of has that old school, like that really old school, like, you know, Looney Tunes mixed with just like even older style animation, but it's got this really gritty, uh, really adult uh, just concepts and aesthetics to it. Um, and it's just, you know, I mean, there's the whole like comic book artist aspect that's tied into it. And it's just it's a fun film and it's a weird film. I don't think I don't know if Cool World would get made nowadays because it's just really out there and bizarre. But I guess in the 90s, they just had money to <laughs> make weird (laughs) stuff like this. Um, But this one, like I said, I know it's not the greatest movie, but it's definitely within, you know, one of those top five movies that I would pick if I was going to watch, you know, five of his movies any given day. Yeah, it is definitely not a movie that would get made nowadays. So... It, I don't know. I don't. And know. I, I wasn't even thinking from a like a politically correct point of view. I was more thinking, it's just so weird, you know. Like studios don't put money into wild cards like this, in my opinion, anymore. And this is definitely a wild card, you know. It is a wild card, and in the realm of wild cards, I can almost guarantee the cool world will not be making it to Broadway. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know why that would be like that thought would cross your mind. That's hilarious, though. But. Well, you were talking about not getting, you know, making it you know, like, could this movie get made today in PC? And I thought about my Broadway comments earlier. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it makes me as soon as we uh, stop recording tonight, I'm going to start working on Cool World, the musical. <laughs> so have at it. Um, all right. So my first pick of the night is Ocean's Eleven. Um, I don't, I, I actually think we're going to match a lot tonight, but, uh, my first one tonight is oceans 11. Um, this movie is fantastic. Everything about this movie is fantastic. I know we've talked about it before. This is also one of those con man, like heist films that I can watch over and over and over again. Um, and Brad Pitt's amazing in it, but this is more of not, this is more of an ensemble cast film than just a yeah. Brad Pitt movie, uh, because so many people are involved. Um, but what I like a lot about the movie is that see oceans 11 does this weird trickery in the filmmaking where they have told you everything you need to know to figure out how they did it, but they're holding just enough back. So you have no clue how they did it. So at the end (laughs) of the movie, when they tell you how they do it, there's no way an audience could have seen it coming. And sometimes that bothers me when I watch a movie 
But it was such it's such a fun ride leading up to that explanation. And even when you watch it again and again and again, you're just like, God, I love this part when they you know what I mean? And you actually get to learn everything. So, yeah, I don't know if, what you want to say about it. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if I have too much to add. I think it's just one of those like it's a really fun heist film. I think I just I haven't watched it as much as you. So I don't know if I have as much to say because it's another one. It's been a while since I've watched. But um yeah, definitely a fun movie. I guess uh, this one I'm probably due for a revisit as well. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't know I, I didn't know you had watched it that much because I think when it came out, I'd kind of viewed it as like, oh, that's a pretty cool, fun movie. But I didn't. Uh, I guess I didn't think about it past that. Um, and not saying that, uh, you know, anything you said is off base. I think I'm just due for a re- revisit of it. I guess there is two more movies: is Ocean Twelve and Ocean Thirteen. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm just saying you can stop after eleven. <laughs> I've seen Ocean 12 as well. I don't think I ever saw Ocean's 13, though. Um, Again, you can stop after 11. (laughs) Um, Ocean's Ocean's 11 is solid. They just needed to make the one movie and just know that it was amazing. Um, But, yeah, dude, check it out again. Um, It's it's such a good movie. And when I say I watched it again and again, it's not like I'm like, ooh, let's watch Ocean's 11 tonight. I watched it a handful of times on my own. And then anytime it's on TV, it's one that I just stop on. So it just, it's one of those uh, stop flipping channels movies, if you will. Um, Absolutely. Uh, your pick, man. OK, so let's see. Trying to decide. I think I'm going to go with uh, Snatch for my next pick. Ah. Um, we've talked about this movie a couple of times, I think, on the podcast. It's a really good, um, you know, it's a Guy Ritchie film. It's a very good sort of really um intricate crime story, I guess. And it's just as funny as it's suspenseful, but, um, you know, Brad Pitt's in this movie and it's, it's one of those things where it has a lot to do with like the British mafia and stuff. And it it is a convoluted plot, like trying to go back and explain exactly what happens in the movie is kind of crazy. But the one thing I can say is Brad Pitt's character is probably the best part of this movie. And I like this movie overall, but he plays that sort of, trailer park Irish uh, boxer dude and he has a crazy accent and he's hilarious and uh, I he's just the best part of this movie and uh, like I said this is one of my favorite movies with him in it but it's hard to well maybe I'm I mean maybe you'll disagree but to me it's hard to to say that his character isn't the best part and the funniest part and stuff of this movie. So uh, I'll, I will agree. His, and when you bring in uh, trailer park accent, trailer park accent is an understatement in the terms of how difficult it is to understand his. Line <laughs> yeah. dialogue. It's like, a, it's like a very specific, like Irish dialect that he uses. That's just, it's really funny because of how hard it is to uh, understand him as well. It's just like, his character's demeanor, I guess, just adds to that as well. But uh, what were you saying? And, but it's also done on purpose. Like the characters don't understand him either, which is really yep. funny because he has to pee himself. <laughs> so, like, you know, so it was it's done on purpose. It's not it's not meant to be like, you know, because I know people who have trouble with under accents sometimes. And I'm just like what they say. Um, this is a completely different situation where it's done on purpose. It's meant to be like hard to understand that kind of thing. Um, but no, like I agree, like that's he is a part of the movie that I was like, can we get back to Brad Pitt's character? You know, when you're watching <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I don't have much more to say on Snatch, but fin- yeah, same thing. Well, like I said, we've talked about it a couple other times, so I kind of wanted to focus more on 
Brad Pitt's addition to the movie, you know, for uh, in this case. But um, yeah, yeah, what do you what do you have next? Uh, my next one is Spy Game, which I've talked about before. I don't know how far back that I bring this up, uh, but Spy Game. Um, oh, I think we did uh, spy movies where I talked about Spy Game. This one's really cool. This is a this is a CIA thriller. Uh, Brad Pitt is a CIA agent who has been captured overseas uh, behind enemy lines. And um, Robert Redford plays his uh, Robert Redford was the guy who like recruited and trained him in the CIA. Yeah. So Robert Redford is like on his retirement day when he gets word that Brad Pitt's been captured. So they're doing like a breakdown of Brad Pitt's career leading him up to this event and asking Robert Redford all these questions about his recruitment, about his training, about his assignments and all that stuff. So you're getting all these. So like everything's done in flashback, like it's bounces from flashback to present day, flashback to present day. So basically the movie takes place over the course of like eight hours. So it's like it's like his last day at work at the CIA headquarters. And he's like having to deal with this, like technically hostage situation and help save his friend from behind the scenes while you're learning all this stuff leading up to the actual event, but how he got captured and then rescued and all that stuff. So um, the movie is fantastic. And there's a lot of like twists and turns and um, stuff like that. Um, but it's also that thing where you have like these actors, like on a, like, like it's a master class of acting when you look at like who's in the movie and like certain scenes. And it's a movie that I don't think gets enough attention in terms of like performances and stuff. Um, but everyone should watch it. It's really, really good. So, yeah, this this one's really good. You we did talk about this one, you know, decently recently on the show. Um, and I kind of said the it's kind of a theme going with uh, the picks that you're choosing, because a lot of them are like this is another one that I saw back when it came out and I haven't watched it since. So a lot of the details are escaping me. But I remember it being a really good kind of like really slow burn of a uh, spy story. Um, it's kind of funny because when you started talking about this, I got it a little bit mixed up with um, the recruit in my head. So I was trying to I couldn't remember oh. if it was Robert Redford or uh, Al Pacino in this one, which was just kind of something funny. I was <laughs> thinking to myself, but um, overall, the thing I can say about spy game that I remember about it is I just I remember it being really smart in the fact that it just seemed like a lot more subtle and grounded than a lot of other spy movies are. You know, this isn't James Bond flying around in some crazy car with a ton of gadgets. This is like real world spy stuff. And it's kind of a cool glimpse into that world. It's not as uh, maybe bombastic, but it's kind of really smart in that way as well. Um, right. Like, so. in a, like when there's a recruitment scene where he's like a training scene where he tells him like, don't ever carry a gun. He's like, always have a pocket knife on you, a pack of cigarettes and a lighter or something like that. He's like, that's the only equipment you ever need in the field. And I'm like, really? What? And then, yeah, that, that's and, ringing a bell. That's and then, awesome. <laughs> and then he says to him, he goes, you see that building over there, that apartment building? He goes, yeah. And he goes in five minutes, within five minutes, I want to see you standing on one of the balconies in one of those apartments, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, wait, what? And then like, you know, like he's got to figure out how to get up there and in. It's like all improvisational, like conversational. How do you get yourself in one of the balconies? Like, how do you get the person? What, you know, it's a cool scene. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, man. What's your next pick? Okay. So, um, I'm going to go with seven for my next pick. Hey, um, asked on this one. 
Nice. I knew we were, and I was kind of trying to save that this pick for a little bit higher up. But um, I mean, we've talked about this movie on the show before, but this is just a really good sort of, uh, you know, pretty uh, dark, um, I guess, mystery film. You have uh, Brad Pitt and uh, Morgan Freeman who are trying to catch a uh, a serial killer who's killing people um, in really brutal, gruesome ways um, that represent the seven deadly sins. And uh, this is David Fincher directed this, right? Yep. Yeah. And this is Fincher, Fincher film. If, if you if you know David Fincher, like this is totally like his sort of uh, just really gritty realism where you just you can like feel the grit in every scene but it feels really real from that aspect as well but this is just a really good story and um i know we've talked about this before but the production design uh levels on this movie are kind of through the roof like if you watch the you know dvd or blu-ray extra or special features where they talk about like all the props and stuff they made around the serial killer, like his notebooks and stuff. They got, I was specifically specifically going to bring up the notebooks, but go ahead. I mean, I was just going to say they got really detailed and extensive as far as, uh, just the prop work and the sets and everything they put into it. I mean, Drew, you can uh, elaborate on the notebooks a little bit if you'd like. Um, but yeah, no, it's just a really good film overall. Uh, yeah. The notebook specifically, like, yes, first off, everything you said, Peter, is phenomenal. We've talked about this movie in the past heavily. This is one of the coolest, like, mystery detective films there are. Um, But uh, when you look at the notebooks alone, just when you see when you get to the notebook scene in the movie and you see how many notebooks there are. Um, and you know that Morgan Freeman was going to have to like look through them and all that stuff and like piece through them and you're going to see him flipping through the opening credit starts with the guy with the serial killer writing in the notebooks and building the notebooks and putting them all together and that kind of stuff. And then, um, Morgan Freeman's got to do the scene where he's like reading through the notebooks and finds them and all that stuff. When you go through the extras for the DVDs, like, and you actually like watch the movie, like bonus features, you find out that they had to make all those notebooks (laughs) And fill in the text. So it's like that is what blew my mind a little bit. Like, holy cow. Um, And I'm going to this is a really weird segue. But um, if you've ever played an Elder Scrolls video game, um, I'm a big fan of the Elder Scrolls video game series. (laughs) The reason the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's the same mental blowing my mind, because in that game, there's a lot of books. Um, Okay. And oh, it, I, okay. it's an action adventure role playing game and you're running around killing monsters and doing quests and stuff like that. But every now and then there'll be like a book or a letter or a note or some orders by a military general or whatever. If you look at those, they're all written, all of them, and they're mm-hmm. all like unique. And it's very rare that you find like repeats and someone had to take the time to sit down and write all that. So when you just look at the movie seven alone, someone had to sit down and take the time to write all those notebooks. And it's incredible um, that and it just it adds to that sense of realism. It just makes the world a little more flush. It, you know, it really yeah. pulls out the world that you're a part of. So, yeah. Well, I've always said that Elder Scrolls is like seven meets Lord of the Rings. So yeah, I definitely I understand where <laughs> <laughs> Where you coming from? There. No, but um, I do just because we've maybe been they should have an and and with that being said, I'll be looking forward to the Elder Scrolls musical on Broadway. But, uh, 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, just because we're talking about the notebook so much, like those DVD uh, special features where they're, I remember there's like two guys who are in charge of making all the notebooks and they're like, there's a special feature where these two guys talk a lot more extensively about making these notebooks than you'd expect. And they got into really all the dark and twisted details. And they talked about how they needed to have the perfect handwriting for the guy. And it had to be kind of, you know, it had to kind of be really uniform and calligraphic, but it also had to be, you know, somewhat messy and, uh, you know, maniacal. And they just, they had so many details. And then when it comes into the specific, like, you know, images and stuff written in the book, it was just kind of really messed up and demented. And it was kind of just funny listening to these two, um, you know, production designers or whoever they were <laughs> talking in such detail about these notebooks. And it was just kind of really funny because you watch the movie and the notebooks are on screen for like, I don't know, a minute maybe or something like that. But it's just it's just really cool how much, as you're saying, how much work they put into the production design in those aspects and how it does flush out the whole movie and story and environment. Um, and the last thing I can say about Seven is, um, uh, like I said, we've talked about it before, but one of the greatest parts of this movie is just that there's scenes in this movie and concepts that are going to stick with you for life. And even though some of them are kind of make you cringe uh, in, in the best way possible, you know, because you're dealing with a serial killer. So stuff makes you not like it's stupid and it makes you cringe like it deals with some heavy subject matter. But this movie will stick with you. And for years, you'll be referencing it and still thinking about it. And it's not that often that a movie comes along like that. So, yeah, it's just overall just a great film. Yeah. Um, I agree. A lot of that, those, those scenes in that movie that have completely stuck with me. So, um, <laughs> all right. Well, because we matched on that, Peter, I'm going to throw this back at you. So, oh, right. Okay. So the next movie I wanted to mention is Inglorious Bastards. Aha. Uh -huh. Did we match or no? Nope. Okay. So I don't know if Inglorious Bastards is my favorite Tarantino movie, but I think it's the one that I recognize as being the best. Um, and that's maybe oh. just me personally, but this is a movie that the dialogue is so amazingly well-written and Tarantino, he's always like all his movies have great dialogue, but this movie, the dialogue is just, it's so smart and it's so the way that Tarantino has these slow scenes where it's just people talking, but he, he really masterfully builds suspense the whole time. Um, this is just like a really amazing film um, just overall. And it's kind of hard to even know what to say, just because I think this movie is so good um, for a lot of different reasons. And of course, uh, Brad Pitt's character in this movie is like, you know, the super bombastic. Um, I don't know his rank, but, you know, the uh, U.S. military member who's leading like his group of people through Germany and killing Nazis. And it's just it's a blast, but it's also just like a profoundly just really good film that it kind of does. The it kind of has all the best parts of uh, Tarantino, where it is a really good film and it really makes you think and it's really smartly written. But it also has some really ridiculous over the top action and just like parts that make you say what the F and stuff like that. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on Inglorious Bastards, Drew. This one, I kind of it's kind of hard to know where to begin because I just think overall this movie is just so 
well done. Like it's hard to even nitpick anything about it for me. The reason I didn't bring this movie up is because I feel like Brad Pitt is such a small part of the movie in terms of. That's a good point. I I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, Because my favorite parts of this movie, I love that opening sequence. Yeah. Um, And then the opening sequence is just absolutely phenomenal. And then one of my all time favorite scenes of that movie is the the scene at the at the bar with Diane Kruger, where she's playing the game with the Nazi soldiers like they're having they're having a good old time. And then Michael Fassbender and his crew comes down and she's like, oh, hey, and it kind of like everyone just kind of stops because they don't know what they're allowed to do. And the scene gets really tense. Like, that's one of the coolest scenes, in my opinion. It's probably my favorite scene of the whole movie. Um, But uh, overall. The movie's phenomenal. I just didn't really. The reason I didn't put it higher on my list or even it didn't make the cut tonight was because Brad Pitt's such a small piece. So, no, actually, that's actually a really good point because he's kind of there. But you're right. Like a lot of the best scenes don't necessarily deal with him. He's just kind of the loud, brash, like leader of the group who kind of uh, it's all. I just thought of this and it kind of made me laugh in my head, but he almost like is just there to represent like the American spirit or something like that. Um, But yeah, no, I agree. Like he doesn't have the biggest part of the movie, but at the same time, I think it's just, I love this movie so much and I respect it. And I just think it's so good that it had to make my list. But I do think um, from a top five, Brad Pitt performances list, I do understand, uh, understand what you're saying there so yeah um i guess that throws it back to me right yeah all right so my next pick for the night and i'm assuming we matched i actually think i'm matched about this is fight club absolutely Uh and this was what i was going to save for last but uh yeah go ahead well we've talked about fight club heavily in the past um and this is my second my my second to last pick of the night and since i'm not allowed to talk about it i'm gonna let you uh go from there peter Wait, why are you not allowed to talk about it? Because you're not supposed to talk about Fight Club. <laughs> I walked right into that one. Oh man, <laughs> I was too much. I was thinking too much about you know our top five lists and like, wait, but it was your pick. Like you can talk about it, you know. But well, well played. That's awesome. Um, uh, no, we've just talked about this movie in the past pretty heavily. I love this movie. Everyone should watch it. I figured I'd make a movie reference as opposed to go any farther so (laughs) yeah i mean i can say a couple things that especially looking at brad pitt's performance in the movie the thing is brad pitt is tyler durden like he was honestly i think at the time the best possible casting you could have for tyler durden because tyler durden is that ultra cool um person who i don't want to spoil i know this movie has been around for a while and i don't want to spoil anything but he's like the coolest version of yourself. He's the version of yourself that you always wish you could be. And just Brad Pitt, like late nineties, Brad Pitt, he was just like a really cool edgy looking guy. And he was like perfect for this role. And, uh, it's just thinking about that. Like, it's just, it's pretty, pretty cool. But overall, like this movie, what I can say about fight club is before I ever saw the movie, I watched, do you remember on VH one, they had like the, I love the eighties and I love the nineties shows and stuff like that. Yes. Okay, so I was watching I Love the 90s because I believe this movie came out like around 98 or 99. And they were talking about Fight Club and how it was this huge movie and it was a cultural phenomenon and blah, blah, blah. 
and they spoiled the movie on there. And this was the point in my life where I haven't seen Fight Club yet, but they spoil the huge twist in the movie. And I was like, really? They just spoiled it on I Love the 90s? What the heck is going on? So I ended up kind of avoiding this movie after that. And uh, years later, when I was in college, I had a friend who lent, who lent me the book Fight Club because I was just kind of looking for something to read. And even though I knew... I, I the story was spoiled for me. I actually read through the book and really enjoyed it. And uh, knowing how the story ends, it was actually really cool to read that book and see all the little hints and everything that built up to where the story was going. And then I went and I finally watched the movie after reading the book, after having the story spoiled for me. And I still loved the movie just as much as I did the book. And that's kind of maybe a testament for this movie and book and story in general is like, even with such a huge spoiler, I enjoyed it that much. You know what I mean? So this is just good, a good movie. Brad Pitt's performance is amazing in it. He was perfect casting in the at the time. Uh, I think everybody needs to watch Fight Club at some point. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Don't know too much else to say about it. Uh, let me just say this and we'll call it a day. Fight Club is a very profound movie that'll make you look at the world a little bit differently. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think everyone needs to watch it. Um, there's some, and I, some themes and stuff in there that they talk, things that they talk about where you just kind of look around you after you watch the movie and you're just like, yeah. And, you know? and I, I think, I think <laughs> some of those themes actually still hold up really well. And I think a lot of people read the book or watch the movie and they don't necessarily understand what the, um, author was trying to say and how uh, Chuck Palahniuk, the author, was trying to challenge you and stuff. So uh, that's something to keep in mind as well. But, yeah, it is. It's just a good movie. And, uh, yeah, it makes you think and it it's become part of our eternal conversation. So that's awesome. So. Um, all right. So my last pick of the night um, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, this is the movie that landed Brad Pitt and Oscar. Um, but. That, you know, Brad Pitt aside, the movie is absolutely amazing. Um, I've talked about it heavily. I blew it up when the movie came out in theaters. Um, this is a movie that if you know your film and television history, I just you have to see it and you're going to be blown away by it when you actually like like realize what the movie's actually about. Um, but uh, Brad Pitt's fantastic in the movie. Um, and then it's Tarantino. So and it's not Brad Pitt, Tarantino, like Glorious Bastards, where he's a small part of the movie. Brad Pitt's a very heavy part of this film. Um, and you, have you seen it, Peter? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. OK. Um, but yeah, no, it's just I absolutely love this movie. Um, I've seen it a few times. I, I've kind of been itching for a little bit of a rewatch on it just because I haven't seen it in a while. But um, it's just a really fantastic film. So. I don't have too much to say because I gave it such a huge review back when it came out. And we it's come up in conversations. It's kind of like when I was doing this list this week, I was kind of like, wow, we've talked a lot about these movies heavily over the course of the uh, 139 episodes we've been doing this show. Um, so um, I was like, I don't know how much I have to say about each one of these movies tonight. And I thought we were going to go a little bit quicker on the list. But, hey, that's all right. <laughs> um, yeah. But, well, yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, go see it. It's fantastic. It's awesome. Um, if you like Tarantino, you're going to like it. But if you know your film and television history, you're going to have such an appreciation for it. And the Brad Pitt's fantastic in it. So, um, I can say a little bit. So I've seen Once Upon a Time in Ho Hollywood. I liked this movie a lot. 
I it's not like my favorite Tarantino movie. Um, like I said, Inglorious Bastards is high up there for me. Um, since you said uh, how it relates to like knowing your Hollywood history and stuff and how that all plays out is really interesting. I personally think the movie relies a little bit too much on the viewer knowing their Hollywood history because um, I can't remember the actress's name, but uh, the character that Margot Robbie plays Sharon, I Tate. didn't. Okay. Sharon Tate. I didn't know anything about like uh, her fate in real life and stuff. So watching the movie, there was all these points of uh, that. I think were supposed to be points of tension that I didn't necessarily that didn't necessarily translate to me because I didn't know anything about the actress in real life. So that's kind of, I guess one of the, if you're, it's one of those things where if you don't know everything about these real life people, like there's certain things that will be missed on you. Um, and then there's just other parts. Like I think, um, a lot of the stuff that Leonardo DiCaprio did during the movie, I wasn't the biggest fan of like some of it. I thought, kind of dragged a little bit <laughs> right. and I'm not trying to be too nitpicky. I'm just saying like, it's, I do think it's a really good film. Like I did enjoy it quite a bit. It's just not my favorite. With that being said, I do think this is another one where Brad Pitt's character was probably my favorite part of the movie. Like, I think he just, he was such a good character and he played his part really well. And, um, I think he was probably the most likable character in the movie as well. So, um, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to nitpick your, movie at all i just uh no it's all right to each to each his own man like you like it i you didn't like it i you know i liked it better than you no big deal. yeah that's that's a good um, way to phrase it <laughs> no big deal um i think when it because sharon tate was such a big part of the manson murder um i think a lot of people know like and you know this is that's a generational gap more than absolutely you didn't know um so i was saying i think people a lot of people went into that movie like i realized when i looked around when i went to the theater to see that movie i looked around the theater and i'm like i might be the youngest person in this theater um <laughs> so you know it's it's all good but yeah well anyway. it also goes back to um so i think the best example of this and i don't want to go on a huge tangent but people complain that every new version of Batman has the scene where, you know, the mugging scene where, uh, you know, Bruce, Bruce Wayne's parents get killed and everybody complains about that. Like we've already seen this. We know this is going to happen, but I always like to reiterate, like someday there's going to be somebody who doesn't know that's going to happen. And this is going to be their first time experiencing Batman. So you actually do need to show or at least allude to that scene in every single version of the character. Like you do need to establish that origin. And I think that was maybe my biggest complaint with once upon a time in Hollywood is being somebody who didn't grow up, um, you know, at a time like, near the Manson murders at all. There was just like a lot of stuff in there that was missed on me. So, you know, sure. it's, it is, I think a bit of a generational gap. Um, but I just, I guess I just wish that some of the, there's some way they could have caught me up maybe as just an ignorant, you know, watcher of the movie. <laughs> if right. that makes sense. I got, I got you. All right, man. Well, what are we doing next week? Yeah. So, uh, we talked a lot about Godzilla versus Kong at the beginning of this episode. Um, and I thought it'd be fun to keep that giant monster train a moving. So I thought it'd be cool to next week, talk about our top five kaijus or, uh, just giant monsters in general. Um, I don't want to limit it to like, you know, it can only be like a Japanese kaiju movie. And there's definitely a lot of uh, American movies that skirt the line and stuff like that. But I'd say as a general rule, we got to keep these monsters like 
building size or larger, you know what I mean? I don't think we should be going like, you know, like Doomsday from Batman v Superman isn't a kaiju. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it bums me out that this is we're going to do this list before Suicide Squad releases. So I can't say Starro. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess you could. I mean, I didn't necessarily say movie giant monsters either oh. so i guess i guess you could go with that we could open it if you want to do sorrow i don't interesting. mind interesting we can talk offline a little bit about that yeah opening it up that's funny um <laughs> my brain but no this is my well, brain automatically goes to uh film and television when we start these lists before i jump into including everything so yeah but i mean we did uh, giant robots we did an episode about giant robots and if i remember correctly that was like episode six of the podcast, which is pretty funny. It was, it's been so long, but you know, we finally have the monsters that are going to come out and fight the robots, I guess. So I just think it'd be a fun list to do. Awesome. Well, how about this, everyone? Let's uh, Pete, you ready to toss this episode in the can and move on? (laughs) Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, first off, before we go, um, in all seriousness, all the news we talked about tonight was not April fools related. Um, so, just know that you made it through April Fool's April 1st safely, and all of that was uh, correct news that I pulled. Wait, so you with. mean they really are doing a Cool World musical? <laughs> oh, they might be. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I just I just wanted to bring that up real quick. Um, nice. Uh, so do us all a favor, everybody. Uh, check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Hit us up on our uh, uh, social media. Either way works. We are on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to us. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. Uh, You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Uh, You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter. Oh, yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I'll be pointing out all of the Vanishers cameos in every MCU film. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Fantastic. All right. Well, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And restore the Snyderverse, everyone. Have a good night. We'll see you next week.